Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, we had brought up essentially the topic last time of people who are going through terminal illnesses and how to, to address that from a spiritual standpoint. And the vast majority of the conversation was about prayer and not being afraid to, to ask God for help. Um, and, and healing can have multiple facets, both obviously the physical healing, but as well as the healing of, of everyone around us of, of the stages of grief, you know, cause that is something that, that will happen to all of us. You know, it, it, that is, is part of life just as sure as, as death is. And that's part of what I wanted to, to get into with this episode, the, 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 the grief part of us. Obviously, you haven't experienced death yet, but it's something that that we all will. And now that we live in in a world where technology is continually growing, and that's part of life as well. That that that's avalanche isn't stopping. Everything is progressing forward in terms of technology, and one of those areas is is, is certainly is medicine. Um, think back to to when. Uh, before World War II, open heart surgery didn't exist. The vast majority of modern um, antibiotics and, and pharmaceuticals did not exist then. Um, artificial lung machines and heart machines did not exist then. And with these obviously come great benefits. You know, you can live longer now if you have open heart surgery than if you didn't. You know, you can, we talked earlier about how you can move stem cells from parts of your body to other parts of your body and it fixes it. For some reason, there's not a direct road between there, but we figured out how to basically airlift them from your hip to your heart and it works. And that's something that, that the church encourages. Um, and there's all kinds of different procedures and, and there's no way that we can go through each one individually. And rather than trying to do that, because I think that in some regards, that's a, uh, a folly's effort is to dive into the process in which how we should evaluate what is what is something that's that's an endeavor that should be tried versus it and also where's the line of of when you have to take on that form of acceptance that that it's time and that's kind of what I wanted to go into I know I just put out a number of topics there for us to, to try to dive into in a limited episode of today. But with that being said, I'm going to let you take the ship and go through the direction of those that, that you think is the best order. Yeah. The, uh, the, the church recognizes the goodness of modern medicine and certainly supports. Uh, there's a, there's a beautiful passage in the book of Sirach about physicians and really honoring physicians and their art in curing. So that's coming from several thousand years ago. And of course, the, we have this illusion that, uh, you know, we invented medicine in the modern world. I mean, of course, there was a lot of medicine and some of it was lost and is being recovered in terms of the usage of different uh, plants, herbs, uh, you know, we we imagine we we know how amazing antibiotics have been, and being able to reproduce things that are so trustworthy, and that we can measure out exact milligram sizes of, and 
have highly regulated and all of that is pretty amazing. I mean, it's really worth uh, admiring what modern science, modern medicine has done. But anyway, we can start to worship it like a god and as if it came, you know, in the, the ultimate advancement of the human race. And even some of the narratives would set that up against uh, an earlier time in the world when there was more superstition and casting on of the spiritual and uh, witch doctors and whatever. And now we're so advanced, we don't need any of those things. And uh, now I'm not saying we need witch doctors, but the, the point being that coming to uh, a person who can heal or praying for miracles of healing, using the sacrament of the anointing of the sick in order to care for people's needs, or using a number of things in terms of herbal medicine, uh, the St. Hildegard of Bingen, who lived in the 12th century, was known as an herbalist and was able to do amazing things in a combination of really medicine and spirituality and uh, healed a number of people through prayer and through also bringing together essentially medicines for them to take from her uh, herbal garden in the Benedictine Monastery in the Rhineland Valley. So uh, the point is, you know, medicine's been around a long time, and a lot of these pharmaceuticals and different medical interventions have been around for a long time, and we just have a particular variant of that in our day, which has its own advances and certainly remarkable capacities. I mean, things like MRIs that use superconductivity in order to look inside the body with ever without ever cutting anything open or doing these laparoscopic surgeries and lasers. I mean, there's pretty amazing technologies out there. There's no doubt about that. Um, but also, as we've talked about before, things like adult stem cells, so not the fetal stem cells that would require us to kill babies to get them, but the adult stem cells and some of the treatments that are possible there using the body's own power and then the intervention is just a matter of moving the cell from one part of the body to the other part of the body that needs some help. So moving it from uh, maybe one, I forget where you get the cartilage stem cells, but anyway, from the bone marrow to the knee or something like that. And then suddenly you see the power that God has put in the the built-in biology having an effect on somebody and transforming, uh, bringing healing. So uh, some of medicine has really been successful by learning how to uh, capture the body's power, the God-given power of healing as well. So uh, all of that is to say, what's you know, what can we do? What can we not do? Uh, and everything in ethics really centers around the dignity of the human person. And so our previous discussion about fetal stem cells captures a lot of the discussion. Um, in general, because it's about the human person. We might look at the positive benefit for one person, but we have to balance that against the negative for another person. When, when someone's life has to be taken to save the life of another person, it could be possible for someone to give their life. We, we do that, soldiers do that in battle, for example, when they're willing to take a bullet for a friend. Well, that's one thing to willingly give one's life Although even there, it's not suicide. They're trying to protect someone else, and the consequence is 
that they end up receiving the deadly force and, and are killed from that. It's not suicide. So it's never right to take our own life or to take someone else's life. We just, we're not the masters of life and death. So the ultimate dignity of the human person is really the defining characteristic. And so the problem with fetal stem cells, as we discussed before, is that it requires taking the life of an innocent child, a fetus, in order to harvest those cells and then use them to save, use them in a positive way to help someone else. So that's problematic because it requires taking the life of a fetus. Now I have to, I can't remember what we said in the podcast episode, but I need to make the comment that there are some ways they've found to get fetal stem cells from the uh, umbilical cord or from the blood that is in the umbilical cord. And because a lot of cells are in a little bit of blood and they can reproduce the cells, they, they can actually harvest that uh, source of, of blood from an umbilical cord after the umbilical cord is removed and when there's no longer a threat to the child. So you see the difference in that. That's really important. We're not, it's not a matter of the cells being used or not. It's a matter of the life that's being destroyed in order to get the cells. So if you can get them without destroying the life, great. So looking at things like um, radical interventions, life-saving measures, we're looking at the, the dignity of the human person is a key thing. And that's why euthanasia is never a possibility. We can't say, uh, well, we, you know, this person's life is, I've decided that this person's life is over. We don't get to decide that. God decides when life begins and when life ends, period. That's part of the dignity of our life is that it's not, if for a human being to determine when life ends, uh, or when life begins for that matter, for a human being to determine that makes us less than that human being. Uh, well, my, my question for that is, is, is that as you had mentioned throughout that there's, it's remarkable how far our modern medicine has come that we can project with two pillow, you know, two things of Tylenol, this will fix your headache for four hours and it can be consistent and measurable and, and all of that, that my question then becomes, obviously neither one of us have been in that spot where a doctor comes to you and says, Hey, you know, realistically speaking, it, you have three weeks left, or we can try to do this, that, and the other, and it might end up being three months. Um, in that type of situation, in a certain regards, you, you're, you have fairly good evidential history that says if you go through this process you're going to get extra time you don't know exactly how much but it, it's going to be more but it's going to be at the the physical cost of of going through this this treatment whatever it may be um there so i guess the question is 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 it wrong to say i don't want to go through that I'd rather not have this treatment upon me or is that is that wrong? I guess at the end of the day, because the part before made sense, you know, it's not all right to kill someone else for behalf of another group. Um, you know, that we'd vilify Caiaphas for literally saying that uh, in the Bible. So my question is, this is a decision presumably that yourself is making, or you're making on behalf of someone else because they physically can't. Um, where do you, where do you go in, in that type of spot? 
Yeah, so the church makes a distinction between things that you can do and things that you have to do. And so uh, do you have to get chemotherapy if you have cancer? You know, that's a that's an important question. Uh, chemotherapy is uh, can be very destructive to the person. It can really reduce the quality of life of the person. And the outcome is uh, mixed. So yeah, even if you say, well, it's you know ninety percent chance, or it's uh, uh, you're you're going to get another three months or another two years or something like that. Well, not always. Um, what's your obligation to keep living? In, in when you know when your body is dying, you didn't cause it to die. You're not killing yourself, but. Um, what what's your obligation to keep living? Well, so the the church describes what uh, extraordinary measures as opposed to ordinary measures. To make it really simple, eating and drinking is an ordinary measure. <laughs> so you don't get the choice to not eat anymore because whatever uh, you don't want to because you want to die. Uh, well, no, that's an, it's an ordinary measure to eat and drink. And uh, because uh, antibiotics, I have to think about whether there's, you know, let's just say penicillin to make it simple. Uh, even antibiotics are a kind of a range of things, but um, penicillin is an ordinary measure. It's relatively cheap. It's widely available. It's very straightforward to use. It's extremely effective. So it's an ordinary measure for treating illness to say, well, I don't want to use, you know, ordinary antibiotics to treat my illness because, you know, I want to die or whatever. Well, that's, that's not really holding sacred your human life. So again, it's really about the sanctity of life in all of these cases, the, the uh, preeminent sanctity of human life. So you have to use ordinary measures. Now, the church is always, you know, what it, in terms of what's ordinary, penicillin would not have been ordinary 500 years ago, as you point out. Uh, it didn't exist 500 years ago. So there is a little bit of a moving target in this. And I don't know all of the criteria off the top of my head, but I think I listed them correctly, that um, it's widely available, it's low cost, it's high effectiveness, it's low, you know, kind of impact in terms of uh, lessening our own quality of life. So we say that something like penicillin is ordinary. A breathing machine is not ordinary uh, because of the level of uh, invasiveness, because it's substituting a whole bodily function, because you need uh, expert medical personnel in order to apply it. Because remember, we're also thinking about these things in terms of the whole world. And uh, a we certainly have a very advanced and a, a lot of medical personnel that wouldn't be the case in another country. And to kind of force them to take more time for, anyway, they, they have to uh, know how to focus their time, the few medical personnel that might be in a whatever, African or Far East, South American, whatever country. So, um, Ordinary versus extraordinary measures. That's the, the kind of key distinction. And, and the church has to do some discernment. And in some ways, we have to do our own discernment in, in, as terms of what's in those categories. But the church does provide guidelines. 
there's uh, the ethical and religious uh, uh, ethical and religious directives is produced by the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops for use in the United States. So knowing what is prominent, cheap, available, non-destructive, uh, effective, you know, the U.S. bishops make a make some judgments about that. But that's a it's a little bit of a moving target because things become more ordinary. Uh, for example, a feeding tube is ordinary. A breathing machine is not. So a feeding tube is is about uh, anyway doing is supporting the body and doing something the body is able to do. A breathing machine is really pretty uh, pretty serious. And so um, another example, you know, chemotherapy is an extraordinary measure. It's just it's very expensive. It requires very highly trained uh, personnel. It's um, you know, something that's has some dubious value in terms of the way it limits your uh, your life, uh, the quality of life and things like that. So um, that would be extraordinary. Something like uh, painkillers could be uh, could be ordinary in the sense that, um, you know, everybody, a, a common reason for euthanasia actually is lack of palliative care. And so even a a person on the street really has a, a right. That's the thing is when there's an ordinary treatment, we really have a right to it. Uh, and that's an obligation that's placed also then on society to provide when the person is not able to provide for themselves. And so that's why things that are very expensive or require very highly qualified, specialized personnel can't be ordinary. It would it would put too much of a burden on society that every homeless person who gets cancer has the obligation and therefore the right to use chemotherapy. You know, well, that's a little extreme. But do they have the right to palliative care? Do they have the right to some to to die a death that's not just hugely painful, but to have some some basic uh, pain control? Yeah, they have the they have the right to that, the obligation to that. So um, anyway, I've thrown out a lot of things, but centering on that ordinary and extraordinary and recognizing the kind of responsibility that ordinary care, the obligatory quality of that requires. Whereas maybe the standard, you know, probably most people that get cancer end up using some kind of chemotherapy. It's very common and it's very good, but it's not obligatory. So that's the kind of distinction we're making. So I, I think that that makes sense there, that at the end of the day, it's not that you're choosing to to take your own life by saying I don't want to go through um, my last three weeks being completely debilitized by something that may or may not work. That's, that's not right. a that's not a sin or a problem. Um, and, and pretty much the way that that I again not trying to paraphrase you here, but the way that I took from it is essentially if an eighth grader could perform the action, give you the pill and some water and swallow it we have a duty to do that. But if you start getting into advanced technical things, then we have the option to decline and, right. and the faith is, is okay with that. So that's, I think that that's a very good skill because like I said, in the beginning to go through every single individual situation is folly because no two situations will be exactly the same, but to have a framework or a mm -hmm. little way to evaluate it is there. 
and then it comes down to, to each individual. Um, you know, you, it's your individual relationship with yourself first. And then with the people around you, what do you think is, is the best choice? And, And you gave us when clearly action has to be made. And then essentially where it's a, it's, it's a personal decision that, in a sense, is almost amoral because there's no wrong answer. It's you can if you want, but you don't have to. And then that makes that makes a lot of sense. It certainly does not make it easier, um, but it, it it makes it sense. And that just comes down to perceived risk versus reward. And at the end of the day, that's kind of why this is called faith. You don't know what the outcome's going to be. You know, it's 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 the way it is so well the uh, the thing is you know when it comes to god and eternal life we know what the outcome is going to be in the sense of at least that we're going to face judgment and we know the terms on which we will be judged and so um we can move toward that with some uh informed consent with some certainty uh, when it comes to medicine, so where it's you're talking about faith in medicine, faith in doctors, faith in certain medical uh, procedures, and and faith is the right word. And sometimes people make that a kind of religious faith, and that's a mistake. Um, we don't have a supernatural guarantee about medicine. That really is a risk. It's more risk than than faith. We make that risk based on certain reasonable evaluations but um you know there's a there's we're taking risk there so uh, ultimately through everything we want we want to put faith in god which is uh, we can have some confidence about and really turn to him and place our lives in his hands and then do the best we can to discern the uh, the medical interventions that we might take there's a there's a beautiful book called on being mortal by the author is Atul A T U L Gawanda G A W A N D E. He's a uh, he's not Catholic, and it's not purporting to be a Catholic book. But reading it, I didn't find anything uh, that I would have disagreed with. It's really a very human reflection. He's a medical doctor, and uh, reflecting on his own situation, helping his parents who are dying. His father's also a medical doctor, a surgeon. And kind of walking through that process led him to investigate a lot of the practices of uh, developments in in medicine. Apparently, there's a kind of regular development that we see happening now in some other countries, which we've already been through, which is, first of all, there were kind of homes for uh, maybe for the dying. And then as medical interventions became better, then people started going to hospitals instead but then that becomes very expensive for people essentially to be living in a hospital and it's not as effective. So then that created the nursing home where you have some medical professionals, but you have a setting for the elderly in particular, that's not a hospital setting. And so is also cheaper, but then the, there became a shift. There generally becomes a shift from the medical to the human, instead of focusing on how can we keep this person alive longer as the single focus, it's more about how can we reverence the humanity of the person and help them to live as full a life as possible and uh, give them the kinds of activities and support and community and welcome guests and 
really transform nursing homes into uh, real homes and into kind of families to move away from the more sterile medical dimension. And then that also goes together with palliative care and then even uh, a further emphasis on people perhaps staying in the home, but being able to have palliative care to, to take care of the, um, the, the pain that can come with the, the dying process. So it's a wonderful book, really helps us to reflect on the dimensions of living and dying, the inevitability of dying, and then how do we live this life most fully, knowing that it's heading towards death, uh, knowing we can slow it down in some ways, or we can uh, shift the approach in some ways, but ultimately it's heading towards death. And so how do we, how do we live life most fully in, in light of that? And uh, anyway, on being mortal, Atul Gawanda provides some wonderful reflections on that space in terms of, you know, is it, do you go to a hospital or to a nursing home or stay in your family home? There, again, there isn't a single answer to that. It depends on the circumstances of the person and you're choosing between multiple goods and uh, but but there are some good reflections in that book to help people, you know, think about the those kinds of decisions. Yeah, and, and going back into the last episode and the rest of them is that don't don't cut out the conversation with God. You know, make sure that 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 you're going through it in a prayerful stance, and it will only help. And I think that having this conversation about, yes, there are some you know base requirements you have to do, but then the rest of it comes down to you know your individual choice and your relationships about what you think is best. And I think that that is a, a very good message because it's not really articulated. As you said in the very beginning that the, the secular world doesn't really cover this kind of thing. Um, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of moving parts here that we've tried to cover in a lot of different ways in the last two episodes. And, and I'm sure there's many, many areas that we missed, but we hope that overall that these two episodes here have, have helped the people who reached out to us about having a conversation about them it truly does help. And uh, we'll be again with you here next week. So we thank everyone for listening and we'll be with you next week.